Wednesday, Columbus for arm surgery on broken arm. Let's remember Bill Fletcher at home and also Alex Siegler is at home. He, he was uh, <clears throat> in the children's hospital in Macon for a day or two uh, with low blood platelets, and they found out he had a virus that had attacked his platelets, and uh, he is, uh, is doing much better. Also, let's remember Edwina Goff. They have moved her into a transitional unit and, and removed the respirator, and uh, the, the outlook is bleak. So let's, let's be remembering Edwina Goff. Shall we bow together? <clears throat> Father, as we come into your house tonight, we acknowledge our need for you, our desire to focus on you and worship you. Father, help us to remember that, that when we come into here, it's not about us. It's not about meeting our needs or focusing on our wants or wishes or being fed or getting something out of it. It's all about focusing on you and honoring you and loving you and expressing your worthiness, your power and might. Thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. And Father, also thank you for loving us and for loving these whose names have been mentioned. We pray for surgery recovery for Curtis Branch, and we just thank you for the success of it thus far. We pray for Margie Case and Joanne Rutland and Nona Jones. Father, bless and strengthen them. Be with uh, Cynthia Moon as she has surgery on her elbow on Tuesday. And we pray for Larry Hornbuckle and for Annette Spear as they continue uh, to regain their strength and, and be made well too. Father, be with Bill Arnold as he undergoes surgery. And um, Bill Fletcher as he takes uh, treatments and, and tries to get some nutrients to regain some strength. We pray for Alex Siegler. And we pray tonight also for Edwina Goff, Lord, that you would be with that family and just comfort them. Um, whatever lies ahead, we know that it's in your hands, and we can trust you to do what's loving and best for her now as always. Father, help us tonight to worship, to honor you, and to love you and to express that love in appropriate ways. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hymn number 140 is our offertory hymn. I was thinking of the words of this hymn as, as I was introducing it to you, of what it says to us, that down at the cross our Savior died for us. Let's stand as we sing down at the cross and give glory to his name. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name, glory to His name, glory to His name, there to my heart was the blood
pray that you would take this token of our love that we have for you and use it for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. And all created things 
above all wisdom and all the works of man. You were there before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known. Above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, laid behind the stone, you live to die, rejected and alone like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall, you thought of me. Above all, crucified, laid behind the stone, you live to die, rejected and alone, a rose trampled on the ground, you took the Above all, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall. You thought of me. Above all. Thank you, Gary. That was a Michael W. Smith song, wasn't it? Remember the... Pardon? You're telling some names I don't know, but... <laughs> I remember the concert. Um, the danger of going to church. Why is, it, why is it dangerous? Romans 12, 3 through... Mercy. 3 through 18. How can it be dangerous? This is what uh, Paul writes to the Romans. Well, I'm going to start in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I bid every every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In prophecy, in proportion to our faith, 
if service in our serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal, be aglow with the Spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you. Live peaceably with all. Shall we pray? Father, as we gather to think about the church, show us how it can be a dangerous hiding place from the difficulties of the world. When you call us to be the salt and light, that goes out into the society to make a difference. So many Christians retreat into the comfort of the walls of stained glass windows. Lord, give us courage and boldness to go and tell. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A few months ago, um, I ran across some safety tips So I want to pass them along to you for your own protection. First of all, don't ride in cars. They cause 20% of all fatal accidents. With the price of gas, you can't afford to do that anyway. Don't travel by air, train, or boat. 16% of all accidents are the result of one of these modes of transportation. Don't stay home either. 17% of all accidents occur at home. Don't walk on streets. 17% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Of all the fatal accidents, listen to this, only .001%, one one-thousandth of a percent, happen in church. So obviously, church is the safest place to be. And I actually remember, um, good night, was it 10 years ago when Billy Hood had a heart attack in church? Do y'all remember that? And Dr. Turner and Danny Edwards were sitting about two pews behind her, and her heart actually stopped, and they resuscitated her, and... Uh, Because she was in church. She was saved. (laughs) Literally. So if you feel a heart attack coming on, come to church. I'll admit these statistics may be a little misleading. In the first place, a lot of people don't go to church. And among those who do, most don't spend more than about 1% of their time there. So accidents are likely to happen where people spend the most time. More people would probably meet their maker in church if they attended more often and stayed for longer periods of time when they did come. But the real danger of church is not that it might be fatal, but that it might actually change you. Let me give you this evening some dangers I came up with associated with going to church. The first danger, and you can probably think of some yourself, but the first danger I thought of is is that People actually think that going to church and being a Christian are the same thing. The truth is there are a lot of lost people in church today. 
A lot of sermons are preached encouraging people to go to church. A lot of people consider it their Christian duty to go, although a majority in our country now in a recent survey believe that you can be a good Christian without going to church. It's a problem for ministers because we don't want to discourage church attendance, but we do want to discourage attending church for the wrong reason. We know and have seen that Christianity without church is like a rose without a rose bush or a football player without a team, and you just can't survive out there by yourself. On the other hand, you can't play football without being on a team. And just showing up for the game on Saturday doesn't make you a football player either. So the substance of religion has to be more than just its outward forms. The most basic and essential form of Christianity, when you talk about the Christian faith, people think about the church. But the substance of Christianity has to be a lot more than just the form of the church. Going to church can become nothing more than a ritual or a habit or uh, just an outward expression. It's a good ritual, but it has to be more than just a habit. Sometimes I'll ask people, why did you quit going to the church? And they said, I guess I just got out of the habit. And I'll say... I hope it was more than that. I hope going to church was more than just a habit. Because if that's all it was, then I can understand why it didn't mean any more to you than that. The prophets of the Old Testament were among the severest critics of the religious form and ritual. Isaiah, we looked at this morning, later on he became a prophet. And he prophesied against the children of Israel... Because they let their outward worship substitute for inward love and action. Isaiah wrote just a few verses down from what we read this morning. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. According to Isaiah, God was not accepting their offering because they had rebelled against God by dealing crookedly, corruptly with each other. In other words, you profane the worship of God on Sunday when you go out and cheat your brother Monday through Saturday. And if that's the kind of week you've had, then it's an insult to God for you to come into church and put up a pious front and go through the motions on Sunday. And not only may church going become just a habit, but it may be a bad habit. Going to church can serve as a cloak for respectability, hiding a multitude of sins. Sometimes we are successful even concealing them from ourselves, and we consider ourselves holy merely for going to church on Sunday. When we stand before God at the the pearly gate and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? I hope you have more to say than because I went to church. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through forgiveness of sins and his lordship over your life that will open the gates of heaven. Church membership and participation come as a result of that, not a substitute for it. In my last church, um, the preacher before me's name was Dr. Ben Allen. And he had been at Marion Baptist Church for about 20 years. And then Paul Batson came, and he was there 30 years, and then I came. 
Um, I heard a story about D.R. Bostick, who was uh, the, the president of the power company there in Marion, and a good man, just a, a really fine Christian man. And he and Ben Allen were walking down the street one day, Main Street, and Mr. Bostick noticed an alcoholic staggering down the sidewalk on the other side of the street. And pointing him out to Mr. Allen, to Ben Allen, Preacher Allen, Decatur Bostick said, Isn't that an awful way to live? And Dr. Allen replied, Yes, but his sins I can see. It's your sins I worry about. I love that. People put up a respectable front to hide behind while engaging in sins behind the scenes. And it was hypocrisy for the children of Israel to do so. And it turned God's stomach against them. So church going is dangerous if you use it as a false front. Secondly, it can be dangerous if you use it as a defense against the world. Sometimes people come into the peaceful quiet of the sanctuary in order to escape the problems of their neighbors or the the challenges of the workplace or the difficulties of the six o'clock news. We know that going to church can strengthen the values that the world teaches, but this is the opposite of what Paul is trying to tell us in, in Romans. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God come into your heart and change you from the inside out so that you can be a transforming agent on the world instead of conforming to the world's values. This is what I see Christians doing all the time now. It's like we're in a a kettle and the world is slowly turning up the heat and we don't even realize the subtle changes that we are acquiescing to one gradual subtle step at a time. Paul urges us not to be conformed to the world. Studies show that values and attitudes of church people differ from non-church goers mainly in being more strongly held. Do you understand? Church members believe things similar to non-church members, only they believe it stronger. That's okay if it's something good, but what if it's not? What if going to church actually made people more narrow or prejudiced or intolerant or self-righteous? Going to church can be dangerous if it dulls our sensitivities and confirms in us the attitudes and values and practices that the world teaches and divides us from one another. But there's some more dangers. There's, more, there's some dangers in being changed, too. You might just discover in coming to church that God loves you and accepts you just as you are. You don't have to earn His love, you don't have to be good enough to be saved. You see, what I'm talking about is the real message of the gospel might just find a place to take root in your heart. God loves us not for what we have done or ever will do, but simply because he is love. And you may actually be persuaded that doing more and being better does not make you a better person in God's eyes. And you might just lose the incentive to think of yourselves more highly than than you think of others. It's dangerous because you might... Stop trusting in your own self-righteousness. Another danger that might happen to you is that you might grow to care more for others and give yourself more freely to them. And that can be costly. 
And that can mean change in your life. You may find yourself unable to remain indifferent and apathetic when you see suffering. Your peace of mind may be disturbed by oppression or injustice or hatred. You might discover some inner spiritual resources that will drive you to go out and help others meet the difficulties and challenges of life. But then you might also find that these, those resources need to be recharged and strengthened in the worship and fellowship of the church. Some people use the church as defense against the world's troubles. When religious people are compared as a whole to those who do not attend church, whom do you suppose is more likely to help others? I saw this um, very graphically just a day or two in the news. It was talking about churches that had responded to the tornado victims. In Tuscaloosa, even as our church has, and in Joplin, Missouri, they said some of the groups that have responded the, the earliest and, and the most uh, widespread have been church groups, people of faith. And I'm so proud that when there is a disaster, uh, Georgia Baptist disaster relief units are there giving a witness for Christ, making a difference to people who, who have given up on the church and think religion is irrelevant. According to a study in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion, churchgoers more readily come to the aid of those suffering from natural disasters, illness, or a host of other problems. So when we go to church, we risk learning that our lives can make a difference. We may no longer be able to enjoy the luxury of being indifferent, be detached or uninvolved. We might discover gifts within ourselves that we feel like we have to use. We may be enticed to give up some of our worldly pursuits and dreams in order to invest our energies in projects that were not of our own design or making, but something that came from above. We may end up spending more and more of our time trying to accomplish something for other people, not to earn God's favor, but because of it. And there's a danger that our values and attitudes and practices will begin to change. All this talk about love and grace and forgiveness and justice and compassion and peace may actually begin to sink in. And we may find ourselves wanting to be more loving and kinder people. We may have to give up some of our old prejudices and pride and begin treating people who are different from us as if they matter just as much as those who are the same. Finally, I think there's a danger in going to church if you get seized by a vision, a calling that changes your assumptions and changes radically the direction that you've laid out for your life. Our beliefs and doctrines and hymns and sermons all try to tie God up neatly in a, in a package and place him on a shelf. But in the actual experience of worship, he continues to break free. God will not be compartmentalized. He will not be boxed up and put on a shelf and put away. He is much greater and less manageable than you ever supposed. You may discover that in his presence, humility is the only attitude to have. And you might discover that others have come to that conclusion too. <clears throat> there are people in church, not so different from yourself, who are learning daily how great a God he is and how much he loves us. 
So a little religion can be a dangerous thing if it's used as a smoke screen to hide who you really are. But a lot of religion, a lot of going to church can be dangerous too because it might require change. Going to church can be dangerous. So apparent a lot of our church members played it safe tonight and stayed home. For those of you who are brave enough to come, are you also brave enough to confess your sins and allow God to begin a new work in you, no matter how great the cost? If you are, I warn you, it could be dangerous and it could change everything about your life, about your future, just as it has about your past. Shall we pray? (coughs) Father, we know there's risk in letting our faith become a real part of our lives, and and I, I guess that's why a lot of folks stand on the sidelines. It's hard to become real and to let you deal with us in those compartments of our hearts that we have kept hidden and protected from everyone, especially you. Because you might come in and and ask us to reorder our priorities, to love those we could have cared less about, to be a better husband or father, a better wife or mother, to be a better parent, to change our attitudes and our values and be more compassionate and loving, especially for those who have never heard the name of Jesus and who don't know you as Savior and Lord. Father, help us to take that risk knowing that when you ask us to change, it's for our own good anyway. You desire the best for us. All we have to do is trust you enough to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn this evening is number 502. Open my eyes that I may see. It's an opportunity for you to respond. We believe that before you find salvation, before you profess your faith in Jesus, your eyes are closed. You're blind to your sin, to the needs of those around you, and to a loving Heavenly Father who sent His Son to die on the cross. But when you become a Christian, your eyes are open. If that's your prayer, and you sing this hymn, and you want to profess that faith publicly, you do so tonight. Rededicating your life, joining this church. Let's stand together and sing, Open My Eyes That I May See. I'll be at the front to receive you. Mm -hmm.